Good evening. Welcome, University of Might Be Here. We um, touched this morning on uh, Philip the Evangelist. Tonight, I want to talk about the Apostle Philip and kind of make a completion in that. We're going to use um, various scriptures in the New Testament. So, the message entitled The Apostle Philip. Now, the men that God has used uh, in terms of the apostles from the beginning of time, they're imperfect men. Sometimes we have an ideal about men of God or the men that God uses, and we have plenty of accurate record of the Old Testament of men who made great mistakes. They um, did foolish things, and yet God used them. That is not to say that there's not to be any consequences or some standard, but the fact is that there are men like you and I. They're not above anybody else. Noah, after the flood, lay drunk and naked in his tent, after the judgment of all the world. The problem what? Noah had sin nature. The whole world started from him and his sons and his daughter-in-laws, and they produced sinners, right? There has never been a woman who has brought in a sinless child. Every woman brings in a little rotten sinner. Cute, but sinner. And you thought they were crying there in the nursery. The Bible says they come forth from the womb speaking lies. (laughs) You have... um, Abraham, who did not obey to depart till the death of his father. There was two calls on Abraham, first in the end of chapter 11, then in chapter 12 of Genesis. He said his wife was his sister to save his own skin and jeopardize her being defiled sexually. He's called the father of the nation. Jacob was a scammer of scammers, second only to his mother, where he learned it. David, an adulterer, murderer, a horrible father, but great king. Jonah was carnal, self-willed, unwilling to see the worst of men saved. So God was pursuing Jonah. The 12 apostles were no different. What makes a difference is when men yield to God and they walk in the Spirit. That is always the encouragement in Scripture. So Philip, the apostle, was such a man in need of learning to yield to God by walking in the Spirit. And we want, to look, we want to look at three things that reveal this to us as we move through the material. First, the man Philip. Second, we'll look at the call of Philip. And thirdly, we'll see the apostle Philip. Beginning with the man Philip. Philip's name appears only 14 times in the New Testament. And we're talking about the apostle Philip. His name appears three times in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew 10, 31, Mark 3, 18, and Luke 6, 14. His name appears 
in the list of the 12, as you know, and is always the first in the second group of the next four apostles because they are given in groups. If you were with us in our study of the 12 apostles, um, I call them the dirty dozen times. Philip is the leader of the second group of four, which um, was less intimate in their fellowship with Jesus from the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The Apostle Philip is joined with Nathaniel, perhaps indicating their co-labor even in the going out two-by-twos. We're not sure, but the lists have those connections. His name appears ten times in the Gospel of John, and John's Gospel gives us the greatest and only detailed information about Philip the Apostle. The information is all God sought to provide for us to draw from this man and to learn from him, and we must study him carefully and search out the riches that are hidden in this man as there are in other men and women in Scripture that we're to learn from. The ten times his name appears in John are related to four events. The first is Philip's call. This is found in John chapter 1, verse 43 to 48. Then there's Philip's calculating mind that is given to us in John chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. Then Philip's closed heart in John 12, verse 21 through 22. And last of all, Philip's slow mind in chapter 14 of John, verse 8 and 9. We'll look at these in greater detail in the last two points, but those are the four areas. Now, his name appears only once in the book of Acts. His name is followed by Bartholomew in the three synoptic gospels in the list of the twelve. But his name in Acts changes order and Thomas comes second and he third. And you find that in Acts chapter 1 verse 13. Whether this indicates a change in order of importance or not is uncertain. Though it is interesting, he's not found anywhere else after Pentecost in the book of Acts. His name Philip, as we saw this morning with Philip the Evangelist, is Greek comprising of two words, philos, which is friend, and hippos, which is horse. The two together mean lover of horses. The custom was of bearing um, Greek names, and Jewish names, as we've seen through our character studies. And though we do not know his Jewish name, um, for all the twelve are described are Jews of the, of the apostles and of Jesus Christ. Uh, but again, remember that the Jewish culture came into and under the um, um, influence of the Greeks, and Rome embraced the Greek culture, and so there was this overlap. You have the Hellenists who were Greek influenced and raised like that, affected by the culture. And you had the Hebrew Jews who were purest of speaking the Hebrew language, Aramaic, and holding to the very traditions of all Jewish. They didn't want to mix anything. 
Now, Philip is not to be confused with other Philip's found in Scripture. Let me just mention some. He is one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. This is the Philip that we are studying. He's distinct from Philip the evangelist that we saw this morning. Uh, he began as a deacon, as we saw in the early church, serving tables in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And he became known by his gift of evangelism. In fact, he's the only one called Philip the evangelist in Acts 21.8. Though we know that Paul was an evangelist and there are others, he's the only one that is called Philip the evangelist. Now, he's also distinct from Philip the Tetrarch of Turia, one of the sons of Herod the Great, if you remember when we studied the Gospel of Luke in chapter 3, verse 1. And he's distinct from another son of Herod the Great, the first husband of Herodias, who um, was disinherited by his father and lived a private life. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. Mark 6.17 and Luke 3.19 gives us that information. Um, the home of Philip is interesting. He was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Some of you have been over to Israel with us, and um, they're in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Matthew 10.3 and Mark 3.18 gives us that information. And he was from the same city that Andrew and Peter were from, and without doubt were friends with them. Um, close communities, small communities. Um, John 1.44 gives us that information. And he probably was friends with James and John also because they were partners in business with Peter and Andrew. Um, so the affiliation you see come together as you study all the four gospels, the three synoptics, and then John again gives us more information there in his gospel about Philip. Um, he could have been a fisherman also, we don't know, as well as one of John the Baptist's disciples like Andrew and John, but we're not told that, but we know that those others were. Um, in fact, they, they came to Jesus, and, uh, or to John, they said, you know, he's baptizing more than you, this and that, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, I'm the bridegroom, right? I'm the friend of the bridegroom, and and he pointed them to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And they went to Jesus, and they followed him. Um, you know, one day a missionary and his wife were on the same ship that Teddy Roosevelt was returning from um, one of his African hunting trips. And the crowds were um, cheering and hooing and hawing as Teddy Roosevelt came home. The missionary said to his wife, It's not fair. We have given our lives to the Lord's work, and no one is here to welcome us. His loving and wise wife responded, Yes, but we're not home yet. We must always remember that. If you're looking for applause here and people to hail you, as you're in the wrong place. We... Um, we live in the world, but not of the world. We are here as witnesses for Christ, but we are citizens of heaven. And uh, God has touched our lives. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. It's just God's grace as we have yielded to him to repent of our sins and um, to be fully aware of the condition we used to live under. 
And now by his grace, he has turned us around. And some of the most acknowledged people in heaven are going to be those who have never been known on earth. Heaven is going to be a, a, a shocker to a lot of us. <laughs> Even as Paul told a servant of his day to serve his master with, uh, not with eye service, as man pleasers, but servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart in Ephesians 6, 6, because it was God who would reward them openly. Now, if you think of the culture and the context of that day, those masters were cruel. Peter says, even to the just and unjust, um, pretty severe. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is uh, slave or free, Paul says to the Ephesians in 6, 8. The most effective people are those who are themselves not an imitator of others. Sometimes people as Christians want to imitate somebody else and be like them or pastor teachers will try to emulate someone they aspire to and they'll try to copy their mannerism of delivery or whatever it may be. And the best way is to be just who you are, who God makes you, and then God takes care of it. Otherwise, you're always um, trying to perform. God will use your own personality. God will enhance all that you are with your gifts and the anointing that he gives to you. Um, God didn't want two of you or two of me. Uh, one is enough. And uh, if we give it to him, then he can use it for his glory. Um, the pattern of God to touch the lives of a circle of friends and acquaintances is God's sovereignty. And we see this throughout Scripture often, and we see it in our own generations as we come to the Lord. God reached out and used Moses and Aaron, who were brothers, used them tremendously. The family, um, Miriam, his sister. Um, even though they had problems with Aaron and problems with Miriam and even problems with Moses, right? <laughs> God chose the family of Aaron for the priesthood. And um, after all the meticulous care that God gave to them in the wilderness about offering and what not to offer and how to offer and how not to offer, the first thing they do is they take a little Boone's farm and they offer sacrifice and God barbecues them. After all that instruction... And it was an example to teach the rest of the priesthood not to do that when they come before God. God chose David. Many who knew David and his relatives um, to bring about the promises of God. The line. And so this was the man Philip. God had, uh, had touched his life. He was a man like you. Like I, um, he had sin nature, um, but he depended on the Lord. He looked to him. Uh, he was a diamond in the rough. Uh, we, are in a, uh, we are in the process of being uh, under construction. We, we are not a finished product until we cross that line and we give up that last breath, and then we're with the Lord. Secondly, let's look at the call of Philip. Philip was found by Jesus. The Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 43, tells us this. Jesus had been found 
um, by Andrew and John the day before. Verse 43 tells us of John chapter 1. And Jesus then wanted to go into Galilee in verse 43 there, but not for mere adventure and not for mere relaxation. Jesus went into Galilee to find Philip, verse 43 tells us. The plan of Jesus in choosing certain men included this man, Philip. Jesus knew everything. No one had to tell him anything. One of the attributes of God is omniscience. That means he knows everything. He cannot learn anything. He cannot be surprised. Now, Jesus limited himself for a set time, but yet being God, he took on flesh and depended on the Father as a man to give us the example of how we should live our lives, depending on him. He is the only one that is said to be found by Jesus here, Philip. As the scriptures tell us that he must needs go through Samaria, so Jesus had to go find Philip. The plan was to use him to preach the gospel to the world with all his imperfections, with all his limitations, and with all his objections. And the interesting thing about all this is that God doesn't force anybody to come to him. He initiates. By his spirit, he convicts us. He tries to open our eyes, deal with our heart, and then we're the ones that choose. Yes, I agree. I want to yield to you or not. We accept or we reject. God does not do that for us. If he rejected us without giving us a chance to choose, he would have to be unjust. He couldn't be holy. He couldn't be good. He couldn't be kind. Because he would be making that choice against your will. And any time a choice is made for someone against their will, that's tyranny. That's a crime. Now, notice the plan was to transform him into the image of Christ, his master, making him less like himself as he's coming to Christ. And that's the only way it can happen. If we don't know Jesus Christ, and when we didn't know Jesus Christ, we became more like ourselves as we were developing and growing and maturing, and we were shaping our life into the way we saw things, some people we admired, and the things we learned, some good, some bad. And, and we were forming and shaping our character after the manner of the people we were around. Um, making him more like his master from the time he came to follow his master. And that's the real pivotal point when we come to him, as now we're new creatures, old things pass away, everything becomes new, Second Corinthians 5.17. And now we have our ear tuned to God, we go to the word of God to find a standard, we go to the spirit of God to enable us to live out that standard, and we depend on him, trusting him day by day to walk in the spirit so that we can do his will. Notice still in 43 there of John 1 that Jesus called Philip to follow him. He is the fourth to receive the call of discipleship. 
John had followed Jesus with Andrew as John pointed them to Jesus in verse 40 of this chapter. And this is the day after Jesus had called Andrew and Peter, as you compare the verses 40 and 43. Now, he followed Jesus when he heard the call. He did not procrastinate by saying that he had many things he wanted to do first. He did not hesitate saying he wasn't sure if it was worth it or even right or wrong. He was ready for both the call and to follow Jesus as a life commitment, not a mere part-time association. We make a grave mistake when we think that going to church is all that God wants, that he's just interested, that I show my dedication, take an hour of my time, and he, he is to say, oh, my, thank you very much for coming. No. When we show up on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, or midweek, or whatever times that you come to the church, it's as a witness to the community. It's for you to come together to see the, the grace of God in the midst of the body, the very diversity of people that God uses and how he's changed their lives. And because we're a body, we're joined together as the body parts of a human body. And they fitly join together and God uses us as a corporate body. None of us can brag or boast about anything. None of us can compare ourselves among ourselves. But we see that we're all different parts of the body receiving our instruction from Jesus Christ, the head of the body. Not from the pastor, not from the elders, but from Jesus Christ, and that's important. Now, when you get to verse 45 of John 1, um, the first chapter here, Philip found Nathaniel. So Philip decided to find Nathaniel, one of his close friends. He's like Andrew, but more selective in who can come to Jesus. <laughs> He's interesting. He's calculating and rational, not reminding Nathaniel to come to Jesus, but not sure about some of the Greeks. So he, he invites Nathaniel, but as we'll see, as, you know, he, he's very selective. And again, when we come to the Lord at first, we have a lot of stuff that we've learned from the world. And, and at first, we're like little babies, like infants. So we don't have all the wisdom and we don't know all the word of God. So we will, we will say or do or, or, or consider certain things in our old fashion. But the more we study, the more we grow, the more we develop, the more we put on the mind of Christ. And that's the reason that we're to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. By the way, Nathaniel is the same person as uh, Bartholomew. Uh, two different names, but the same person. Now, Philip declared, notice in verse 45, that they had found him who Moses in the law and that also the prophets had written about. The implication being that he was a student of the word of God. This is foundational. Uh, when I see people that that have a lot of difficulties in life in the church, uh, it can always be traced back to not being students of the Word of God. Or if they are students, it's only intellectual knowledge. It's not allowing to transform their hearts. It's good that we have answers to give people answers, but if what I'm learning and taking in doesn't transform me, and make me more like Jesus, 
It just makes me more accountable to God. And he holds me to those that much is given, much more is required. He obeyed the commands of the law. He was being guided by the truth of God's word, not the trends of the day. And so every generation of the church always has to be very clear and very careful as they look at the word of God, the standards, and what is being proclaimed in the culture at large. You never allow the world to set the agenda for the church. The word sets the agenda for the church. Too much of today's church is cultural, like the Corinthian church, and Paul rebuked them. And so much of the seeker-friendly and emergent church is very cultural. It changes the phrases of the Bible, redefines them, and waters down the word of God. We had a perfect example when President Obama came into office. First thing he did is he changed all the vocabulary, raised up a new army, a new lexicon, and only that new army understood what they meant. Even though they're using the same words, they mean totally different things. And so the seeker-friendly and so the emergent church, they will use different phrases, but they mean different things. The root base is from the Germans, the neo Orthodox, that's neither neo-new nor orthodox straight. <laughs> Bart, Niebuhr, and all of them that came out of Germany that infected Fuller Cemetery over here. And they continue to pump out liberal Christianity, which is a watered-down gospel. It's amazing. You know, if, if pastors taught the Word of God, there would be no need for seminaries. You should be learning from your pastor. You should be learning from studying the Word of God, taking a book and tearing it apart. And when you finish with that little one, start with one chapter, go to three chapters, then five chapters, then six chapters, pretty soon you'll take Isaiah on, 66 chapters. One at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. But too many people are dependent upon just a pastor alone. Now you should learn, and your pastor should be teaching you book by book and verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Uh, but you, again, need to be involved in your own study and everything. And so that's important. Now, the evidence was that he was looking and searching. He was believing the promises of God. He was looking for God to act in his lifetime. And that is for you and myself. I'm looking to God. I'm looking to him to speak to me, to direct me and guide me. But his will is expressed in the word of God. That's his will. His will is not found in my emotions. It's not in some thunder or lightning, but in the word of God. So we're to be students of the word of God. He was sure about having found God. There are some people who come to the Lord and because they don't study, they don't grow and they just remain the way they are. Then they start getting into all kinds of doubting. Well, is Jesus God? Is this that? Well, you've got to eat. If you eat, you grow, you develop, and you mature. If you don't eat, you're not healthy. And so you must do this spiritually. The fulfillment of John, the Baptist ministry, had been fulfilled. The glory of the Lord had been revealed and all flesh had seen him. Isaiah 40 verse 5 tells us that. The road had been prepared faithfully 
for the Lamb of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. We just finished the Old Testament a few months back. The Messiah had appeared suddenly in his temple in partial fulfillment as he cleansed the temple in Matthew. Or, or Matthew fulfills it, but Malachi 3.1 prophesied it. And so Philip identifies, notice here in verse 45, Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is his human name, which means Yahweh is salvation. Uh, the Greek name um, translated from the Hebrew name Joshua, they mean the same thing. Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee, and Jesus was the son of Joseph by name, but not by conception, for he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1, 18 through 20 tells us. Uh, he was not the father of Jesus, born of a virgin, according to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Paul picks this up in Galatians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, make it very, very clear. John, in John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amazing. It was the answer to Isaiah's prayer. Oh, that God would rent the heavens, tear them open, and come down. God says, I'll answer your prayer in 700 years. <laughs> I'm coming. He prophesied in Genesis. Now, when you get to verse 46, Philip directly is questioned in his assessment by Nathaniel. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not a very reputable place. Nazareth was not a very cultured region. It's up in the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people in Jerusalem looked down on the Galilean people. Philip invited Nathaniel there in 46. He says, come and see. A simple invitation. The invitation was as if Jesus was making it. Come. Being one of the disciples of Jesus and ambassadors of the gospel. It is God who calls men and women, not pastors. Pastors merely are proclaimers of the gospel. Pastors are teachers of the word of God. But it is the spirit of God who deals with individuals. If I was teaching out of the book of Leviticus, which some people think is very boring, but I think it's their incredible book. I could be out of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, whatever. If you came here with an open heart and you came to hear the voice of God, God would minister to you your need and would direct and guide you so that when you left here, you would be rejoicing in what God has done in your heart. But if you came only to hear a man, you're going to walk out very disappointed. It's very, very important. God looks at the heart. It comes to every person, the call. It must be decided by every person. It will affect each person's eternity. Every person decides where they will spend eternity, in heaven or in hell. 
in fellowship with God or separated from God. Not one person that is separated from Jesus Christ for all eternity will be able to say to Jesus, you never gave me a chance or an opportunity. All will be silenced and know they are guilty before God. Book of Romans says in chapter 3. Every mouth will be stopped. The blessing was to see the Messiah of God. Notice, seeing one's own need of forgiveness. When you see Jesus, you see your own need of forgiveness because he had no sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians uh, 5.21 He became the propitiation for our sins, not us alone, the believer, but the whole world. First John 2.2 2. The one who satisfied the, the demands of God's wrath. Seeing one's need of redemption. Not only the need of forgiveness because sin separates from God, but redemption. That God would reconcile me to himself. And seeing one's need of transformation not just being it's not just a fire insurance that i get out of hell it's that god wants to make me more like him and less like me that's the whole purpose of saving us a friend of mine who was a nightclub musician got saved all by himself at home as he was reading the bible jesus found him like many others God uses his word, whether it is proclaimed by a pastor or an evangelist, or whether you pick up the Bible and just open it up. Have you ever thought about Genesis 1-1? You know, you ever been to a hotel or motel, and at least they used to put Bibles, I don't know, they put them still there. Gideon put them in and you open it up. He said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What a great place to put that verse. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that this stuff didn't happen by accident. That means that there is, there is a God who made everything that we see, everything we understand. And therefore, he is eternal. And he is more powerful than all of his creation. When you compare God to the sun and its power and its energy, he has to be much greater to create something like that. And if that is true, that he created everything, that means he created me. And that means I have someone that I'm accountable to at the end of my life. That's why people reject the Bible and the belief in God. Because they have not, if they acknowledge there's a creator, then they are accountable and responsible to him. Man doesn't want to do that. They want to be a God in themselves. They can live how they want, whatever they want, and we just kind of cease to exist. Well, there's going to be a lot of shockers. The minute you die and you give up your last breath or I, if you're a Christian, you will be instantly present before the Lord. If you do not know Jesus Christ, and I say this with a broken heart, and I pray that you change that direction, but if you die in your sin... You will be instantly separated from God. And there is no second opportunity. Jesus made this very clear in Luke 16. As he gave the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Which is a real account. Not a parable. God 
Jesus never used names in parables. That is not a parable. Philip is a beautiful type of those Jesus sovereignly reveals himself apart from other people. Uh, people always say, well, how about the guy in the bush? How about the guy in an island? Don't worry about him. You're being confirmed with the gospel. What are you going to do about it? God will take care of that person. If he has to send an angel, reveal himself to him, God will take care of that. How many individuals have been saved in their own home? Simply just reading the Bible like my friend, picking it up. And God just convicts them. How many have been saved in a prison? Right there in their little cell. Three by eight or whatever it is. A life sentence. And God uses them in prison. Incredible. God's mercy. From the human perspective, we find Jesus. But from the divine perspective, Jesus finds all of us due to the simple fact that we're the ones that are lost, not Jesus. <laughs> we're the ones that are separated from God through our sin. And so by his mercy, he reaches out to us through his word. Philip-type individuals go uh, find close friends to share their newly found Messiah and their faith in him. It's something natural that happens. When you're born again, you want to make sure that you can share with people what God has done for you and what he has promised you. Um, but not everybody's excited about hearing it, whether it be your mother, your father, your close friends, people you work with. And again, it's something that we ask God for wisdom because we should never force ourselves upon anybody. We just ask God to open those doors so we may share with them. And when people say, you know, I really don't want to hear it, fine. I just continue to pray for you. I don't take it personal. I don't get mad. I don't get angry. You know, I'll knock your head off. You don't listen. We don't do that. Christians lay down their lives, I said this morning, for their enemies. Religious people now, they get a little upset. Religious people will kill you. Okay? Zealot religious people, they will kill you. Christians lay down their lives for those who are their enemies. Jesus being the primary example and were to follow his steps. That's pretty heavy. Sharing the person of Jesus, the Messiah, and the scriptures, back from Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, um, all throughout the New and Old Testament, sharing the person of Jesus to be God incarnate, that he became flesh, that God emptied himself of his glory and took on flesh, as Philippians 2, 5 through 11 tells us. Sharing Jesus to be the person able to forgive our sins and to change our lives, that new creation, as I said in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Because there is nothing that you can do about what you've committed in the past. There's nothing you can change, nothing you and I can undo, redo. It is done. And all we can do is cast ourselves upon Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness and receive that forgiveness and realize that we're new creatures in Christ. And whenever God would give us the opportunity to apologize, to ask forgiveness of those that we have hurt, we should do it so now. 
sometimes what has taken place, whether it be in your youth or later on, you have to be careful because if someone else is married again, you don't want to go stir up the nest. So it's wise if there's the opportunity and appropriate time, but you want to use wisdom. And so the person who's born again understands this, and they fully believe that they are cleansed, even as God says, whiter than snow. You know why he says whiter than snow? Because every snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. You and the person who repents are whiter than snow because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And he buries in the deepest ocean and he casts it as far as east as the west and he puts it behind his back. And he says, I will remember them no more. Wow. David, in the psalm says, Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth. It's not a, a, a self-hypnosis. It's not a, a self-persuasion. It's based on God's revelation that he can cleanse us, forgive us, and make us new creatures and give us a new heart, a new nature. And then he demonstrates that through our life as we move forward. Sharing the most basic characteristics of Christianity, if you're not sharing your faith with others, maybe you're not born again, or maybe you're just carnal. I'll let you examine your own life. But if you're born again, you're going to want to share the grace of God. You're going to want to share this with your, certainly your mom and dad, though it's sometimes intimidating that you have to go tell your mom and dad that they're sinners. And they've raised you up, maybe as good religious people. Maybe they're real moral, real ethical, but without being born again, there's not one good, no, not one, Paul says. And that's hard for people to accept and understand. It's very offensive. Philip-type individuals don't argue or quit when challenged in declaring Jesus as the Messiah, but just um, challenge people to judge for themselves or to provide the invitation to experience Jesus for themselves. Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And that, that context is Jesus has been kicked out of the church. He's knocking at the door of the church, by the way. <laughs> Though we use it for evangelism, the context is the church. They've kicked him out. We're to provide the answer for every man for the reason of the hope that lies in it with meekness and fear. First Peter 3.15 says, when someone says to you, well, son, why should I believe you? You don't believe in evolution? And you can give him the answer, no. God says here he created and you demonstrate the evidence of creation, and you demonstrate the lies of evolution. You do a little study. You do a little research. So when you come and you share, and if you don't know, you say, you know, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. So we don't make things up, okay? <laughs> That's what we used to do in the world. We study. We have character now. We're to be confident that they will see their sinful state and need of salvation through the illuminating, convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God as 
John 16, 8 says, I can't convict anybody of sin. All I can do is share the Word of God and I pray that the Holy Spirit would make that alive. There's the effectiveness of it. So we're to invite individuals to be disciples of Jesus, not mere intellectual knowledge, but that which is going to transform us from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God, as 2 Corinthians 4.18 says. And some of you have walked with God many years, and you've seen the great change and transformation He has done in your life, how He has protected you, how He's blessed you, how He's made you a, a, a godly man, a godly woman, a, a loving husband and wife, a father, a mother, a parent for your children, a friend to others. Um, with all your faults when you blow it. Um, if you think people don't blow it, then you're, you're living in la-la land. Uh, but we don't live the way we used to. And when we blow it, we're the first to acknowledge our error, ask forgiveness of God, and then those that we have sinned against man. And that's what God requires of us. Uh, we're inviting people to follow Jesus, turning from darkness to light, Colossians 1.13, um, that we may live abundantly by the grace of God. And so this was the call of Philip. The last is the apostle Philip, because it's a progression. This is where he ends up. Philip was um, a pragmatic apostle. The Gospel of John, again, in chapter 6, verse 1 through 7 it gives us some information there in verse 1. Jesus has just crossed the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Same thing, different names. Jesus was being followed by the multitudes for he had performed signs to those who were sick and he had healed them in verse 2. The multitudes were greater for the Passover was near. Verse 4 tells us. And then in verse 5, Jesus lifted his eyes and seeing the multitude coming towards him, asked Philip, where shall uh, we buy bread that these may eat? In verse 6, John provides the way of commentary, the purpose behind the question here to Philip. Jesus said this to test Philip. Jesus had just done away or done many miracles in healing the sick, as we've noted. And Jesus had turned the water into wine, and without doubt, Philip was there, remember. Jesus wanted to see Philip was learning to trust him for the impossible out of compassion for man. You see, when, when we're dealing with God, we're not dealing with the, um, the limited possibilities of man, but with the unlimited resources and ways of God. Notice still in verse 6, Jesus knew what he would do. Jesus knew he was going to multiply the five loaves of, um, of bread uh, and the two fishes. And Andrew pointed out the feeding uh, of the 5,000 in verse 8 down to 14. Jesus also knew the outcome of Philip's test, but for the benefit of the other apostles and us who read, it is written, Romans 15, 4 tells us, 
Everything written in the old and in the new, therefore our example for our learning, not simply for us to criticize the men or the women at that point of time. Philip tells us in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Notice Philip has a calculating mind. He's pragmatic as an individual who assesses the problem at hand and says, it just cannot be done. We just do not have enough money. Philip was not drawing from what he had seen Jesus do. He's leaning to his own understanding. Jesus is trying to do something here. Notice Philip did not hear what Jesus asked him. He asked him, where shall we buy bread? Not how shall we feed them? (laughs) Many times God asks us a question, we give him the answer that we're looking for, or whatever it is. We change the subject. A denarii was a day's wages. Philip should have gone right back to Jesus and said, Lord, you tell us. The physical eye cannot see the things of God. The mind cannot perceive the things of God. The Spirit of God must be directing and revealing those things to us, even as 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 tell us. I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He goes on to share how the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. You know, the natural man only knows the things of man. But we have the mind of Christ, and so the Spirit of God ministers to us as we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so that it is God who interprets His own word and deals with our hearts. Notice Philip then was also a prejudiced apostle. This we find in John chapter 12, verse 21 and 22. Um, At this point, certain Greeks came up to worship at the feast. Uh, They were proselytes. They were waiting for the Messiah. In verse 21, they came to Philip and said, We wish to see Jesus. Philip, perhaps, was identified by the Greeks as approachable due to his Greek name. Philip, being the leader of the second group of four, was singled out here. And in verse 22, Philip went to Andrew, and they both went to Jesus. Philip was assured of the answer since they were Greeks, revealing his prejudiced heart here. Philip forgot how quickly he had offered that invitation to Nathaniel, but now had to check with Andrew first. All of us have to be careful of this. We all have a certain bent to favor certain people if we're not careful. Philip though the leader of the second group of four recognized his lower place before Andrew here, the fourth most intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Philip has been credited by many to be the first to introduce Gentiles into the church by these Greeks prior to the event of Cornelius by Peter in the book of Acts. These guys were Greeks. Now, Philip was also perceptibly slow as an apostle. We get this in John chapter 14. As I said, John gives us so much information about him. In chapter 14, 1 through 11, 
in verse 1, Jesus just told the apostles that he was going to the Father and encouraged them not to be afraid. If they believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 2, Jesus, in fact, tells them that he was going to prepare a place for them uh, in the Father's house. In verse 3, Jesus promised that he would come back to receive them to himself. And in verse 4 and 5, Jesus reminded them that they knew the way to which Thomas declared. Listen, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus responded in verse 6 with one of the most valuable truths that refutes any other way to heaven. Thank God for Philip's slowness. <laughs> Listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that one statement, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ has just destroyed every religion, every philosophy, any teaching that would guarantee you a different way to get to God and heaven and have your sins forgiven. Whoa. God is very narrow-minded. He's all-inclusive for salvation through Jesus Christ, but he's not all-inclusive of all religions and all beliefs that contradict the Word of God. This rubs the wrong way to our culture today. And you will be challenged. You will be marked. You might even start seeing some persecution in the United States. Everything is tolerable except the Judeo-Christian ethic and principle. Absolutely. There's no way for but about it. Look at verse 7. Jesus immediately said, If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on uh, you know him and have seen him. Jesus had revealed the very nature of the father, his redemptive love. In verse 8, Philip declared to Jesus, Lord, show us the father, and it suffices us. Three years Philip had been with Jesus, and he still failed the test place before him. The pragmatic mind of Philip refused to have eyes of faith. Show us the Father and we will it'll suffice us, he said. So Philip failed to grasp the presence of God that was before him in a human form, nevertheless, completely divine. The last Adam. In verse nine, notice Jesus rebuked Philip strongly. Jesus rebukes Philip from being slow of learning and understanding spiritual things, making it very, very personal. Listen to the words. Have I been so long? Have, have I been with you so long? Very personal. Yet you have not known me, Philip, or you have known me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He nails him. Now you as a father and mother know. When your son or daughter do something that you know, they, they know better, and you said, how could you do that? Look at me. Because you know that they know. Or at least should have known. Because you've taught them. When you get to verse 10 and 11, Jesus reasons with Philip, reminding him that he is 
in the Father and the Father in him. The authority was the Father's who dwells in him as well as doing the work and ask him to believe this or else for the sake of the very works themselves. As if to say, if you can't see forward, Philip, at least look back to what I have done. Wow. At times, this is exactly what gives us the faith to go forward. The fact that God has worked in the past so faithfully for us. Philip was martyred in Phrygia and Hierapolis for his faith. History tells us. On Sundays, the Greenville, North Carolina newspaper wrote this, quote, the Daily Reflection carries a column on items found by Ripley's Believe It or Not. Some of you young guys may not understand it, but the older guys do. Uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not used to be a program on, and one of particular columns that pictured a plane, a bar of iron worth $5. The same bar of iron made into horseshoes would be worth $50. If made into needles, it would be worth $5,000. And if made into uh, balanced springs for fine Swiss watches, it would be worth $500,000. If God's kingdom... Paul reminds us that each person has a place and a ministry within the church, all for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And so God assigns and prepares and enables each individual personally, the hand, the finger, the ear, the eye, the leg. And we're not here to compare ourselves or to compete but to receive the instructions of the Lord and to obey him and to follow him and no one else. So Philip is a type of individual necessary in the body of the church, but they are detailed people that uh, um, at times uh, may have a difficult time trusting God. They're very pragmatic. They have to be encouraged in that. Such as um, maybe when we got this building, you know, when we got this building where there was only 300 of us and there were some people that said, oh, no, you, you guys are crazy to step out. God gave us this building with 300 people. The building was priced at a million eighty thousand. God did it. When we built the gym, we had only 100,000 in the bank. I forget the total amount. It cost about three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand. By the time we got done, put the key in it, it was all paid off cash. But that's based not on our faith, but in our obeying God if He's directing and guiding. Where God guides, He provides. You don't just step out and you know tempt God. You know what I mean? You make sure God is leading you and guiding you. And then the time is going to demonstrate whether you really hear the voice of God, right? If I mess up, I mess up, not God. All right? Time will reveal who's really directing and guiding my life. Philip-type individuals are slow to grasp spiritual things at times and comprehension in view of the years that they walk with God. 
but yet God uses them. Sometimes they're still feeding on milk. They have need of, of strong meat, as Hebrews 5.12 says. Um, they lean to their own understanding, as Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And so, uh, you know, other members encourage them. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, they're sincere, honest, but, um, again, they, they have to figure things out. Uh, but here again, he was one of the 12 apostles, right? And God chose him. I mean, if you look at the 12 and if you're with us in our study, who would dare put these guys together? I mean, you got a tax collector, Matthew, and you've got a zealot there that hates anybody who betrays Israel. Man, only if God changes the heart, right? As you look around the church, some of us wouldn't be in the same room if we weren't Christians. That's God's miracle, right? But now we're in the family of God. And that's the miracle of it all, ladies and gentlemen. This was the Apostle Philip. Philip was a man that needed learning and yielding to God to walk in the Spirit, revealed by these three things. The man Philip, the call of Philip, and the apostle Philip. Um, no different with your life and mine. You are an individual, you are called, and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. What has he called you to be and to do? Do it looking to him, depending on him, and do it with all your might, trusting the Spirit of God and giving him all the glory, and he'll take care of the rest. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, Lord. We pray, Lord, you deal with our hearts. Watch over us, Lord. We pray for night, Lord, for your word going forth to those that are here and those over the Internet, Lord, that you would just um, speak to us, Lord, every one of us. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you're here or over the Internet, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you can call upon him. It makes no difference what has happened in your life. It makes no difference what you've been into, what's been committed. If you acknowledge your sinfulness and you ask him to forgive you, that means repentance. He will forgive you. He will save you. And he will give to you eternal life. His words, not mine. And so a simple prayer of repentance is what I offer you. That if you believe what I've just said and what I've uh, taught and what, I've, what the Holy Spirit has dealt with you, you can call upon him right now asking him to save you through this prayer. This is your prayer to him if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.